Black Cat by Jean Thomas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Bologna Times. Black Cat by Jean Thomas. From where old Paul Gentry lived on Rocky Fork of Webb's Creek, she could see far down into the valley of Pigeon River, and across the ridge on all sides. Her house stood at the very top of Hawk's Nest, the highest peak in all the country around. Paul didn't have a tight house, like several down near the sawmill. She said it wasn't healthy. Even when the owner of the portable mill offered her leftover planks to cover her log house where the daubin had fallen out, Paul refused. The hose let the wind in and the cat out, she'd say, and a body can't do without either. There was a long, sleek cat, with green eyes and fur as black as a crow, to be seen skulking in and out of Paul Gentry's place. If it met a person, as it prowled through the woods, the cat darted off, swift as a weasel into the bush, to hide away. Young folks on Rocky Fork of Webb's Creek learned early to snatch off hat or bonnet if the cat crossed their path, spit into it, and put it quickly on again, to break the witch of old Paul Gentry's black cat. But never were the two, Paul and the cat, seen together. Truth to tell, there were some among the old folks on Rocky Fork who long had vowed that Paul and the cat were one and the same. They declared Paul was a witch in league with the devil, and that she could change herself from woman to cat when the spell was strong enough within her, when the evil spirits took a good strong hold upon her. Moreover, Paul Gentry had but one tooth, one sharp fang in the very front of her upper jaw. A woman is bound to be a witch if she has just one tooth, folks said and believed. Paul Gentry was a frightful creature to look upon. She had a heavy growth of hair, coal-black hair all around her mouth, and particularly upon her upper lip. Her beard was plain to be seen even when she turned in at a neighbor's lane, long before she reached the door. Little children at first sight of her ran screaming to hide their faces in their mother's skirts. There wasn't a child old enough to give ear to a tale who hadn't heard of Paul Gentry's powers. How she had bewitched Dan Eskew's little girl, Flossie. It wouldn't have happened, some said, if Flossie had spit in her bonnet when the black cat crossed her path as she trooped through the woods one day gathering wildflowers. That very evening, when she got back home, Flossie sank on the doorstep. The bonnet filled with wildflowers dropped from her arm. She moaned pitifully, holding her head between her hands and swaying to and fro. Right away her head began to swell, and by the time they got word to Seth Ealing, the wizard doctor who lived in Mossy Bottom, Flossie's head was twice its size. Indeed, Flossie Eskew's head was as big as a full-grown pumpkin. The minute the wizard clapped eyes on the child, he spoke out. 
Beat up eggshells as fine as you can, and give them to this child in a cup of water. If she is bewitched, this mixture will pass through her clear. Orders were promptly obeyed. Flossie drained the cup, but no sooner had Flossie passed the powdered eggshells than the witch left her. Her head went back to its natural size. Nevertheless, Flossie Eskew died that night. "'Didn't send for the wizard soon enough,' Seth Ealing said. Some believed in the powers of both, though neither witch nor wizard could give the other a friendly look, much less a word. Paul Gentry was never downright friendly with any, though she would hoe for a neighbor in return for something to eat. "'My place is too rocky to raise anything,' she excused herself." and whatever was given her, Paul would carry home then and there. "'Them's fine turnips you got, Mistress Darby,' she said one day. And Sally Darby up and handed her a, a double handful of turnips. Paul opened up the front of her dirty calico Mother Hubbard, put the turnips inside against her dirty hide, and tripped off with them. Nor was Paul Gentry one to sit home at tasks such as knitting, or piecing a quilt. But everyone admitted there never was a better hand the country over at raising pigs. So Paul swapped pigs for knitting. She had to have long yarn stockings, mittens, a warm hood, for her pigs had to be fed and tended winter and summer. Others needed meat as much as Paul needed things to keep her warm. Tilly Bocock was glad to knit stockings for the old witch in return for a plump shoat. Tilly had several mouths to feed. Her man was a no-account, who spent his time fishing in summer and hunting in winter, so that all the work fell to Tilly. Day by day she tended and fed the shoat. It was black and white spotted and fat as a butterball. She and the little Bococks bragged. Another month! and you can butcher that shoat. Old Paul would stop in at Tilly's every time she went down the mountain, eyeing the fat pig. Sometimes she would put the palms of her dirty hands against her mouth and rub the black hair back to this side and to that. Then she'd stroke her chin as though her black beard hung far down. Paul would make a clucking sound with her tongue. Wished I was chawing on a juicy spare rib or gnawing me a greasy pig's knuckle right now, she'd say. Then Paul would begin on a long tale of witchery, how she had seen young husbands under the spell of her craft grow faithless to young pretty wives, how children gained power over their parents through her, and had their own will in all things even to getting title to house and land from them before it should have been theirs. She told how Luther Trumbo's John took with barking fits like a dog and became a hunchback overnight. Why? Because he made mock of Paul Gentry, that's why. She rubbed a dirty hand around her hairy mouth and cackled gleefully. <laughs> At that, Tilly Bullcock turned to her frightened children huddled behind her chair. "'Get you gone, the last one of you out to the barn. Such witchy talk is not for young ears.' Then old Paul Gentry 
scowled at Tilly, and her sharp eyes flashed, and she puffed her lips in and out. Paul didn't say anything, but Tilly could see she was miffed, and there was in her sharp eyes a look that said, Never mind, Tilly Bocock, you'll pay for this. Next morning, Paul Gentry was up bright and early, rattling the pot on the stove and grumbling to herself. I'll show Tilly Bocock a thing or two, so I will, sending her young ones out of my hearing. Far down the ridge, Tilly Bocock was up early, too, for already the sun was bright and there was corn to hoe. Tilly and the children had washed the dishes, and she had carried out the soapy dishwater with cornbread scraps mixed in it and poured it in the trough for the pig. Spotty, they called their pet. The Bococks had no planks with which to make a separate pen for the spotted pig, so they kept its trowel in a corner of the chicken lot. Maisie, you and Sophroni go fetch a bucket of cold water for Spotty, Tilly called to her two eldest. A pig likes a cold drink now and then, same as we do. So off the children went with the cedar bucket to the spring. When they returned, they poured some of the water into the dishpan, and Spotty sucked it up greedily, while they hurried to pour the rest into the mud hole where the pig liked to wallow. The sun caked the mud on the pig's sides and legs as it lay grunting contentedly in the chicken yard. And when Tilly and the children came in from hoeing corn at dinner-time, Spotty still lay snoozing in the sun. An hour later they returned to toss a handful of turnip greens into the pig. But Spotty didn't even grunt or get up, for on its side was a sleek black cat, a cat with green eyes stretched full length, working its claws into the pig's muddy sides, now with the front paws, now with the hind ones. The children screamed and stomped afoot. Scat! Scat! they cried, but the black cat only turned its fierce eyes toward them. Hearing their screams, Tilly came running out. She fluttered her apron at the cat to scare it away, but it only snarled, showing its teeth, lifting its bristling whiskers. Then Tilly picked up a stone and threw it as hard as she could, striking the cat squarely between the eyes. It screamed like a human. Tilly told afterwards. Loud and wild it screamed, and leaping off the pig, it darted off quick as a flash. When the cat reached the cliff, halfway up the mountain that led toward Paul Gentry's, it turned around and looked back. With one paw uplifted, it wiped its face, for there was blood pouring out of the cut between its shining green eyes. It twitched its mouth till the black fur stood up. Come, get up, Spotty, Tilly and the children coaxed the pig. Here's more dishwater slop for you. Here's some cornbread. Slowly, the pig got to its knees, then to its feet. It grunted once only, and fell over dead. After that, old Paul Gentry wasn't seen for days. But when Tilly Balcock did catch sight of her, Paul turned off from the footpath and hurried away. Even so, Tilly saw the deep gash in Paul's forehead, oozing blood right between her eyes. She saw Paul Gentry's mouth widen angrily, and the black hair about it 
twitch like that of a snarling cat as she slunk away. End of Black Cat by Jean Thomas